Welcome to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, where we help business leaders and individual contributors with actionable insights to hit their number and figure out the nuances of truly operating a business globally today, squeezing the essence of the lessons learned from the planet's top tech leaders. This is your guide to joining the fast track to global market scaling. So today's show, we welcome Jerry Carter. Jerry's had an interesting career in Novell, Omniture, Alfresco, Magento, RO, and now is the CRO, put simply, of WordPress VIP. So I think it's fair to say Jerry has a fair say in the powering of the internet. So more importantly, welcome to today's show, Jerry. Thank you, Ross. Happy to be here. Thanks, John. No problem. Well, tell us, Jerry, how does one become the CRO of WordPress uh, VIP. I imagine there's been some twists and turns along the way. Did you wake up as a kid and, and figure out that's what you wanted to do? What was that journey like? If you could share with us your experience. Yeah, <clears throat> I did not wake up as a kid uh, and say, I want to be a CRO someday. Um, I did always love business and entrepreneurship. So even as a kid, um, you know, when I was when I was like 12 years old, I remember my mom saying to me, what are you going to do for a job? And I was like, I have nothing. I'm 12. And she was like, well, then you, you uh, uh, and I was like, no one's going to hire me. And she was like, well, then you better, uh, you better go create something yourself. So I remember I created a lawn uh, mowing business when I was 12 and 13, kept that through high school and was just always interested in, you know, entrepreneurship, starting something, um, building things. <clears throat> So my first real job out of college was actually, um, and I think this is how a lot of folks get into the CRO role, but I actually started as a business development rep, a BDR. And I was, um, I, that's what I did at, at Novell. And I did that for a year um, until I became um, a territory manager um, and moved out into, um, into a field sales role. I moved from Salt Lake City to Ohio. Um, and then from there, uh, became an account executive at, at Omniture. Um, I, I left there and uh, began running a partnership program at a company called Alfresco. And that was really where I started to build my management um, capabilities. So um, I started to manage um, the channel program there and then managed our America's uh, sales team um, or, a, or a part of the America sales organization. And then from there, I had an opportunity to go run um, sales at a company called Magento. And I would say probably that was my big breakout opportunity um, to really run partnerships, go to market and sales for Magento. And that was a really transformational role for me. Um, I watched the company build um, from a, a small uh, a small business uh, up into what was you know became a, a really tech superpower um, and uh, went through that journey. I left um, there in two thousand late two thousand and twelve, and I actually founded a company um, called um, Oro. Um, I left with uh, one of the, the co-founders and CTO of Magento um, and and founded the. Uh, uh, e-commerce um, company called Oro, Oro Commerce. 
and ran that business for uh, seven years. Um, we built that business, um, raised um, a pretty significant round of venture capital, built the company up to uh, 100, 150 plus employees. Um, and then in 2019, I had the opportunity to join WordPress VIP and um, WordPress VIP was looking for a chief revenue officer. And I was just uh, so excited about what the potential was to build WordPress VIP uh, that I joined. Um, and I've been there um, since uh, early 2019. So now going on three years um, at WordPress VIP as the chief revenue officer um, and just really excited about what we're building. Well, Jerry, I guess, you know, from my perspective, um, observing your career development, it seems like you've been very heavily rooted in um, partnerships, which I see as key for um, effective selling, uh, being involved in many organizations where that's been the case, like Quest and HubSpot. Um, and I also see another recurring theme, which is very much around technology that gives the power back to the user. Um, I know at Magento, having worked at HubSpot, it, it, it kind of slotted together hand in glove and i know wordpress very much having powered many of my businesses through through wordpress gives that power uh, back to the user in terms of technology deployment and kind of what i call demystifies um that experience but maybe if you could just share with us you know how do you feel about you know a passion for technology as a sales guy for me having been a sales guy myself a, a former sales guy reform sales guy as i often call myself how important do you think it is to be, you know, passionate about the tech that you're selling and, and really be that disruptor? That's such a great question. I actually, it's the number one thing I look for. Oh, well, it's one of the top three things that I look for in somebody that I bring on board because I think it's so important um, that someone is really passionate in the product and really understands the product and understands the value proposition and understands the market. I, you're you're right to hone in on the fact that I have spent most of uh, my career in um, application software that serve the business user. So you know, marketing, sales, go to market has been sort of my wheelhouse in terms of of my career. But I've just gravitated towards technology um, that I find interesting and, like you said, that like really speaks to the business users because it's so much easier to get excited and energized about the ROI. I, I would also say, I um, think it's so important to have an understanding of the market, an understanding of the a perspective of, um, of what your customers want, of who the other players are that they're looking at, like just to really um, understand where the market's going. And, and there's a lot of ways you can do that. I mean, talking with analysts is a, is a great place, talking with your customers, um, talking with you know, other executives in your company, staying really close to the product organization. I think the best, the best chief revenue officers are the ones that really not only understand the commercials of you know, getting things accomplished um, and the operating metrics of building a team, but also really deeply care about the customer experience, the, the value proposition to the customer and um, the market uh, that they exist in. Yeah, I love that, uh, Jerry, with respect to the market, because um, it's incredible 
uh, how many organizations recruit people, um, you know, uh, um, at the kind of entry level of BD or SD or et cetera, and they, they fill them full of knowledge on, on the products, but, but they don't understand the market. They, they don't understand the, the market. And, and then sometimes they expect um, uh, people who have very little life experience to all of a sudden start talking about uh, business value and all, all of these, uh, all of these concepts that uh, are only relevant when uh, your product or service is positively impacting an organization. And you can only understand that when you understand um, how the market works and, and, and what the target personas actually do on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, what jobs do they have, have to do? And, and you really need to deeply understand that in order to become relevant, I think, you know? Okay, so- Yeah, it's, 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 it's really interesting, John, just yeah. to, I'll put in on that because I think that's one of the biggest misses that I see in people that build BDR teams is they don't invest enough in that um that and and especially you know we look at our bdr team we have 25 bdrs we look at our bdr team as the lifeblood of the future of the organization i want bdrs to to be the future of our organization across our product marketing across our sales team across um our content creators across you know just just across our partnerships program i i want there to be opportunities all over our organizations for all of our organizations for our BDRs. And one of the things we really invest in is, is publishing out to that team and out to our entire organization, everything we're seeing in the market. So we will be really transparent about um, briefings that, that we do with analysts about um, what we're seeing in the market, about where, where our comp uh, competitors are going about the buzzwords and what's behind the buzzwords in our industry because of the fact, because of that exact fact, John, like, I think it's one thing to give, you know, product training. It's another thing to give contextual uh, to just to contextualize the market for that, those folks. And it's so critical. And I think, you know, it, it's a, it's a big miss that I see um, in, in sales and go-to-market teams. Well, critical because, a lot of the time they're the first people to interface with a customer, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the, it's, it, it, it's really that um, kind of, um, it's how strong is, is, is that going to seem to a customer? I mean, surely that's worth investing in. You know, I've always scratched my head on uh, organizations who spend so much money to find and recruit talent but spend very little on the enablement piece which is and we'll get to this in a minute is kind of part of the wheelhouse really of of, of a really great uh, cro is, is is that enablement piece um and again you know this series is about shining shining the light on the cro role and you know how that's different uh, to a vp of sales for example you know um, sure. Can you tell us a little bit about your own personal philosophy around the CRO role? I know you touched on some of it already and kind of what excites you about, about the, the particular role? Well, I think, you know, every organization, I, I, every organization I think views a CRO differently. And, and I actually think as an organization grows, um, even that role itself can change. For example, you know, when I came into the business, we were, we were a lot smaller. Um, and actually, as the CRO, I um, ran and built both sales and marketing. 
Um, and I did that for, you know, two years and, and eight months or so. And just recently, um, as we've gone through a search for a new um, CMO, um, you know, I worked with our, our CEO just to determine that the CMO didn't make sense um, to be in, in my organization anymore and, and really felt like we were at a place of maturity and velocity that our chief marketing officer needed to report directly to our CEO so that I could focus on um, a couple of areas that really needed to be built out um, in a more clear way, which was um, one, really building out, you know, the, the full sales motion from BDR up to, um, you know, account executive and, and really sort of building out the architecture of that organization, as well as building out our um, partnerships and ecosystem. Um, around that. So making sure that the partnerships that we have are really adding value for our customers and are building out an ecosystem that makes us much more relevant to our customers and makes their jobs um, easier. So I think, you know, a CRO plays the role of a commercial leader um, within the business who sees a, a much bigger picture than someone um, uh, you know, who, who sees a, a big picture of where the organization needs to go and needs to be building. I think a CRO should absolutely sit at um, the table in terms of determining the future of the organization, along with the, the CEO and, and the C-suite, um, and really represent the market um, and the customer to the C-suite um, as they go through that process. So, I, I get less prescriptive of like what areas um, of the business that a CRO should own. Um, and um, apart from sales, I think, you know, a, a CRO has to own um, everything revenue producing. But other than that, I think there's a lot of different ways to do it. I think the critical part of the job is really representing the market opportunity back to the business and really articulating what investments need to be made to really capture that market opportunity. Wow, very eloquently put. Um, I, 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 <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I, you know, I've seen it a lot of different ways and, and uh, maybe I have uh, a, a lot of um, strong beliefs loosely held, I guess, is, is what I would say. <laughs> yeah, there seems to be a lot of clarity there. And the um, and, and what you reinforce, and, and, and actually a lot of our guests have reinforced that, you know, the the zero is quite an all-around position. Um, and and it, it really directly affects the future success of, of, of the company, plain and simple. And a, a lot of the... A lot of the skill sets and talents really are, you have to be an incredible communicator. And, um, you know, it's been so obvious as, as, uh, and so evident as we've gone through these podcasts, the, uh, the level of communication is, is, is off the charts and uh, people's ability to succinctly kind of, uh, you know, get, get their points across, et cetera. I love the way that you support the idea of cascading all of the information from the organization that happens in the organization um, uh, right down to the BDR level. Um, for me, that's always been a, that's always been a, a critical success factor because as, as we alluded to earlier, um, BDRs or SDRs are, uh, are, are usually the, the kind of first interface with, with, a, with, a, uh, with a customer. So, so they need to have the information and Number two is they collect a lot of information 
And there's so many organizations that are a little bit disconnected when they get to that customer success piece around the onboarding that they have all of this information that they've collected through the entire sales process, but then it's lost as soon as it gets to the onboarding piece. Have you witnessed that in organizations before that, you, that you've worked in? And how do you guys ensure that alignment from, um, you know, fr- from all of the critical handover points in, in, in the buying cycle? Yeah, it's such an interesting thing to, to bring up because we think about it, um, and this is an area we're constantly improving. So we think about the customer journey pretty deeply. And we, we actually ca- talk about the customer journey and how um, content fits into the or content management company. So we just think about how content really fits into the customer journey and their experience, and also how information and the transfer of information really fits um, uh, as, as folks go through um, the customer journey. It's, it's one of those things that as a business, I think you have to spend time really mapping and understanding that you know, what are the handoff points um, as as a team? Like what, and, and this even goes before even someone talks to us, right? Like what is the entry point that they come into the business? Um, after that entry point, what's their first contact with us? Um, how is that experience? Once they um, have that contact point, what's the um, handover to an account executive um, from a BDR to an account executive, what's the account executive handover to, you know, engaging a solutions engineer? What's that whole sales process look like? And then at the end of that, with the purchase, what is that transition over into our customer success and our relationship management team and our kickoff folks and, and the, the folks that are really servicing the customer? Um, and we think about those transitions. There's two critical things that I think are really important. One is, is there has to be a solid way to transition information between the two organizations. So whether it's using you know, a product like Salesforce, we have our own internal uh, blog system called, uh, it's, it's an internal communication tool called P2 that we really take all the notes and transition, um, transition all the contextual information about the, the customer engagement from one part of the organization to another. Whatever tool you use, um, there have to there has to be good transition uh, points. The other thing I think about in the customer journey, and this is something we've been thinking about really designing this year in particular, is sales plays and having a really strong playbook uh, for uh, the customer journey. And I'll give you an example of like how that may look. If our marketing team wants to run a campaign where um, a business development rep BDR is reaching out to a customer um, to offer up something that our that our account executives are going to brief the customer on. We want to make sure that completely through that um, sales process that everyone is very very clear on the role. So our BDRs are fully briefed on the value of what they're offering. Um, Our account executive teams also get briefed on the value of what they're going to be providing in that first meeting so that there's just a very clear transition from a BDR to an account executive. Account executive is very clear on the purpose of the meeting. They're briefed and enabled to have a really successful meeting and to turn that meeting into a sales opportunity. Um, And just making sure that our high-level messaging, our content, our campaigns, 
really match and flow throughout the entire organization. And it's, it's interesting how many um, businesses I see, especially that are doing a lot of outbound campaign work are really missing on that like very clean uh, flow from campaign to BDR to account executive um, and how critical it is uh, to, to having like a really successful purchase process for a customer. Um, and we, we, one thing I really keep continue to push our team is to actually have very few plays, very few campaigns, but to execute them very, very well. So the areas where we're going to really have a campaign and have an offer out to a customer, we're going to invest and make sure it's a, it's a really good experience. Yeah. And, and couple, like the upside from, from that is that that really must help your forecasting accuracy, does it? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely that that's a whole other topic. I think, you know, the biggest thing that impacts forecasting accuracy from my perspective is just very clear um, definitions and nomenclature. Um, and I think, you know, every organization has its own nuanced nomenclature. But I think to the degree that um, uh, sales executives and uh, heads of sales are really clear about um, how they talk about opportunities and everyone's really clear on definitions. Um, that's the, actually the biggest thing I've seen impact of forecasting accuracy um, is, is just having like a very standardized nomenclature and clear definitions of the sales process um, as, as uh, an account executive really takes customers through that. Yeah, what reminded me of it and the reason I brought it up was the the kind of verifiable outcomes or, or exit criteria from the various stages. If, if, if those are, if the levels of integrity on those are very high, then that, that, that absolutely uh, supports uh, the, the kind of shape of that funnel in terms of uh, where all of those deals are where all of those opportunities are because uh, there's uh, there's no misunderstanding of <laughs> how how it gets from here to here. Um, you know, you, you got to have the, these particular kind of verified outcomes before it gets from here to there. You know. Yeah, you're right, and and I think for me, this is one of those areas that takes constant iteration and, and actually constant validation. So yeah. continually validating the effectiveness of a campaign, for example, we do this on a weekly basis with our marketing executive team to just really validate what's happening in, in a campaign, what we're seeing, how those are flowing through the funnel, what are, and, and really adjusting our assumptions um, on, a, on a weekly basis if necessary. Uh, to make sure that we're really forecasting the outcome and either can, you know, start, stop or continue additional investments. It's also one of those things where I think, um, you know, tactics really start to dictate strategy. And I'm, I'm actually really comfortable with that um, as a philosophy, the idea that, you know, we, we test things and as they begin to work, then they become more strategic in nature. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really comfortable with not, it goes back to the communication and the idea that great ideas come from anywhere within the organization. Um, I'm really comfortable testing um, new ideas and then having that really inform um, our strategy going forward. Yeah, because it is about the actions. That's all it's about, because otherwise it's just a hypothesis. Um, so 
anybody who's anybody or unless you know you've been stuck under a rock um for most of your career knows who wordpress is um and i'm curious you must just experience every different kind of market segment uh that is possible in a kind of b2b or even a b2c motion but um, like who's, who's a typical cost? Where are you winning the most at the moment? Who's a typical customer for you guys right now? And how are you servicing them? What, what kind of sales motions do you have? Yeah, that's great. It's a good question. So I would say, um, we have a, because we're a platform, um, we have a, a broad swath of, of customers. So for example, um, you know, WordPress, you know, it's just an indication as a, as a product, WordPress has um, the latest figures are 43% market share. Almost one in two websites are, are built on WordPress. And what we find, because we service the mid to large size customer, we find that the market share for WordPress is actually um, almost the same as you get into the mid to large size customers. And so we um, do very well um, across a lot of different um, industries and segments. We do great in media. We do really well in technology. We do well in government. Um, we do well in financial services. We do well in healthcare. Um, and we really look at ourselves as more of a platform um, than a vertical solution and actually have intentionally kept ourselves more horizontally focused because we win across so many different industries. Um, and what we do is we actually allow our agency partners to be the ones that specialize um, in both, you know, vertical and, and um, horizontal solutions um, in, in the business. So we really look at ourselves as, as a platform. And, and I, would, I would say just in terms of size of company, you know, we have, we have companies from, you know, mid-size um, you know, a hundred to three hundred million dollar companies up into, you know, the the, the Fortune one hundred companies and and really large organizations that that count on WordPress VIP to, um, you know, power their content management goals and objectives. Sounds like your mid size is everybody else's enterprise. <laughs> the, the, well, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it just. It, it, yeah, uh, it, mid, it, all those definitions are always so, uh, you know, that's one of the things like getting a, a, the right nomenclature is so important because everybody, you know, everybody looks at mid-market differently, right? Everybody yeah. looks at, at a commercial team differently. Oh, so, 100%, um, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you on that. It's, um, it's interesting. Out of curiosity, is there like, do people, is there proprietary CMSs still going on these days or is that market dwindling? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I think, um, sure, there's proprietary CMSs um, still in business and still um, still moving forward. I think the, the place that we really compete um, is offering, and, and you, talk, uh, you all talked about it on, in sort of like the HubSpot model, we offer very approachable technology for a marketer or a business user that's really wrapped with an enterprise wrapper of security and performance that allows them to use that in the enterprise. And that that's really one of the, the biggest value propositions is we just offer such an approachable user experience 
that the proprietary CMSs have really fallen down um, on throughout the years um, into and, and an enterprise wrapper uh, around that so that, you know, a company like Salesforce or Capgemini cannot not only enable, you know, just a small handful of content creators, but can enable, you know, uh, dozens to hundreds of content creators throughout their organization. Yeah, very good. It makes sense. Yeah, there's there's no huge kind of dev input required um, in terms of of that knowledge piece. I'd imagine with the proprietary kind of CMSs, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, technical uh, know-how required, possibly, and integrations and stuff like that to uh, to to um, uh, to do on a, on a, on an individual customer basis. You know, it's not particularly scalable or repeatable. I'd imagine um, the sure. So, yeah, so I'm curious, the, you run a large organization. Um, wh- how do you manage that? <laughs> like, what's, what's a typical cadence like for you? And where, where do you spend most of your time these days? Yeah, I, I really try to spend a lot of time um, connecting the dots across the organization. So really making sure that communication and opportunities are flowing um, across the organization. And when I say opportunities, I'm talking about the business opportunities that we see. Um, I'm really pushing to make sure that our team is really, um, is really, uh, is really seeing those opportunities and capitalizing on those opportunities. I spend a lot of time with the folks who report to me because I think, um, there's so much, um, cross-functional, um, work that happens in that um, and collaboration that happens within that group, that it's a it's a really important place for me to spend time. So just making sure that I'm working with um, really closely with our head of partnerships, working closely with our head of sales, working closely um, with our other business units, um, uh, with our different product sales organizations, you know, that, that our analytics team is working with our sort of core content management, um, go to market team. And really connecting the dots between the opportunities that exist is, is probably where I spend um, most of my time. I <clears throat> I also spend a lot of time just sort of making sure that the folks within our organization are really achieving what they said they're going to do. So, you know, this is something whether it's it's our sales forecasting and making sure that we're on target for that. Or whether it's our our you know business development reps like achieving on the the opportunity creation volume that they've committed to, just validating that and really supporting the iterations and changes that need to happen for us to achieve our goals as a business is a place I spend a lot of time as well. Very good. That's a good segue actually into um, into metrics as we round the corner here, Jerry. Every CRO looks at similar metrics, and a, a lot of them have their own favorites as well. That help them understand and, and, you know, effectively articulate their business. What, what are some of the, the metrics that you look at? What, what are your favorites or what, what do you think are the, a couple of the key metrics that you look at in your uh, day-to-day, week-to-week um, activity? Yeah, I don't, there's a couple that I really, really care about. Um, I, I try not to get buried in metrics and analysis. Um, you know, I've, I've definitely been in that position where, you know, I was running sort of regression analysis between the type of activity that a sales rep did and what made them successful. Um, I don't get that deep into metrics in in the same way. 
I think, you know, one of the things that I really look at now is just the opportunity creation and the opportunity creation by source and making sure that, you know, everyone within the organization is really pulling their weight in terms of like real opportunities created. So, um, you know, I, I look at the different parts of our business, whether it's partnerships or our account executives or our BDRs or our marketing team as engines on the plane. Um, and I spend a lot of time making sure that, you know, each of the engines on the plane is really contributing to the overall goal and objectives. And, you know, our objective from a sales organization is to create and close and win opportunities. And so that's an area that, that I really start to look at, um, it really closely, you know, where we're winning, where we're starting to create opportunities, how we're creating those, um, which part of the organization is, is really, um, doing well at that. Um, which organization needs support and help in doing um, that. And then I also, from there, I will look really closely at our close ratios. So once we create those opportunities, um, uh, are we closing those? And um, how are we doing down to a rep level in terms of like our closing ratios? And it's really telling, you know, as you start to look at the funnel analysis down to a rep level of where, um, where, opportunities are falling off, you can really start to evaluate and coach a sales executive um, or a sales team on areas that they need to improve. Um, so those are a couple um, that I look at. I mean, there's a, there's, there's probably, you know, there's a lot across our, our marketing team, you know, data that I look at that I can, you know, we'll start to triangulate. Um, what's happening in the business, but those are two key ones that I, I really have, have clear a line of sight into what's going on. Yeah, I love the opportunities as I, I'm always um, um, quoted on saying for every unqualified opportunity that we work, there, there, there's a qualified opportunity that we're not working. <laughs> so, so it's really, exactly. it's really to, uh, it, it's really to, to kind of, um, you know, the, the qualification piece of those opportunities is is absolutely crucial uh, because I mean invariably that's that's the only thing that salespeople are in control of is is where they spend their time, so it's about spending less time losing I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's absolutely right. I think it's it goes to probably another um, area that I really like to spend my time is in um, in customer conversations or prospect conversations. And, and I love to get engaged in a deal for two reasons. One, I just, I really love to be close to our customers and spend time with them and spend time with our prospects and understand the challenges, our competition, the market. It really informs my perspective. Um, and I think just gives us so much more capability as executives if we really understand our customer. And the second thing it allows us to do um, allows me to do is, is actually see the challenges that exist in the business, right? If, you know, if I'm working closely with an account executive and a sales leader and our VP of sales um, and our solutions engineering team, it allows me firsthand to get a perspective on what may be some of the areas that we as a business need to improve or where people need to be enabled or where they need more support or help um, as they go through that process. So that's, a, that's another area I really enjoy spending time. Fantastic. I love that. A man after my own heart. <laughs> I, I, I think that, you know, it, it says a lot about about a leader that, um, you know, is 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 willing to help that much uh, at that level 
um, for for a number of reasons. So we always like to ask everybody um, what their uh, what their superpower is. Uh, I'm sure you have many, but um, if we could just hear about um, what what do you feel is your your superpower, Jerry, and how has that served you personally and the organizations that you've worked for up until this point? Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. I think for me, my superpower has been in my ability to recognize high performing individuals and show them a career path that gets them to where they want to be um, and and build loyalty. And I think if you you cannot be an effective CRO or executive in any capacity, if you're not building a really strong set of leaders, I actually view that as like the number one thing that I do um, is building a really strong leadership team that is highly functioning, that works well together, that has a lot of accountability and is, is very, very um, performance oriented. And I have just always had the ability to, to see um, top performing talent, to recognize that, to invest in that and to um, you know, help people's careers move to a place that they want to be. I, I think it's, it's one of the most underestimated conversations is a conversation about what somebody wants to do with their career and how, um, how you as a leader can, can help support them to get there. And I don't, if I have high-performing people on my team, I really try not to wait for them to come to me to talk about you know, what they want to achieve or accomplish. I'm trying to proactively have those conversations around what their goals and objectives are so that I'm really clear on that, they're really clear on that, and we can work towards what that could be. Because everyone really, especially high-performing people, they want a vision for what they can accomplish and achieve within the organization. And, and if they don't see that, then they'll go do that somewhere else. Love that. Absolutely love that. Well, Jerry, look, it's been an absolute blast. There's never enough time. Um, I want to thank you sincerely for those insights. And no doubt um, when we, we release this episode, some of our audience will be absolutely ringing the phone off the hook to get a chance to work with you or, or, or get a chance to work, uh, work over at WordPress. Thank you very much, Jerry, and I uh, hope you and your family have a very happy Christmas. Oh, same to you. Thank you all so much for the time and, and uh, really appreciate it. Our real pleasure to host you today, Jerry. I uh, really believe our listeners will get some tremendous value from today. Thanks again for sharing your insights and would echo John's sentiments around holiday greetings. Have a great one. All right. Cheers. Thank you. Happy holidays. You've been listening to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, designed for both established and aspiring career-focused tech rock stars, as well as helping leadership figure out how to speak global in today's multicultural world. For further details, check out sf-talent.com.